A district court judge in California ruled in the John Eastman document dispute case with the January 6th committee that Donald Trump engaged in criminal conduct in connection with the January 6th insurrection and ordered Eastman documents be turned over to the committee. Trump responded by attacking the federal judge. Lindsey Graham loses his emergency motion with the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which ordered he must testify before the Fulton County Special Grand Jury in connection with the district attorney's criminal investigation. Kelly Leffler's text message from the period leading up to the insurrection has leaked to the press, showing her cowardice, which we always knew, but shining more light as well on MAGA efforts to stop the peaceful transition of power. Meanwhile, the conservative UK prime minister across the pond, Liz Truss, resigned after her tax cuts for the wealthy crippled the British economy. Her plans were touted as the model that MAGA Republicans want to implement here. Can't believe it. President Biden, meanwhile, brilliantly responds to the media's midterm gotcha questions. They just want to take their shots before the midterms. This both sides media has got to go. And our guest for today's podcast is Adam Frisch, yes. the Democratic candidate running against Lauren Boebert in Colorado's third congressional district. This is not the simulation. This is the Midas Touch podcast. Do you like that intro? Oh, not a simulation. I'm Brett Mycellus joined by my brother, Brett Mycellus. Jordy is in Washington, D.C. on official business. Brett, how are you? More to come on that. Jordy's going to have a lot of exciting content, a lot of exciting news coming out of D.C. It's great to send Jordy there uh, to D.C. Uh, he's nice and close over there on the East Coast. Uh, looking forward to bringing you guys a lot of a lot of cool stuff from there. Man, today was quite the news day. It's like one story after the next. We started building this outline in the morning, and then it was like every 10 minutes. We were like, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Holy shit. It's just everything coming in. We're going to try to deliver as much as we can to you um, in the time that we have. I'm so excited for our guest, Adam Frisch. Jordy will be involved in our interview with Adam. He has taken on a little-known candidate who you may know, uh, Representative Lauren Boebert, as Ben said. And we got to get her out, folks. Enough of the circus, enough of the chaos, enough of the craziness. We need serious leaders, and we are seeing the results right now around the world. What happens when you elect clowns? When you elect clowns, expect a circus. And that's what we're seeing in the UK, and that's what we saw here with Donald Trump, and frankly, anytime the Republicans are in power. So we need to step up right now. We got not that much time until the midterms. We need everyone's energy up. Don't be gaslit by the media. Don't let the media tell you that Democrats can't win. Listen, there has never in the history of our country been a midterms elections that has happened in a post Roe v. Wade world, in a post January 6th insurrection world. So none of the polls can account for any of that. None of the polls can account for any of that. So it's up to us to get out there, to get all of our friends and family out there and vote and prove all the naysayers wrong. And I am so excited to do that with all of you. Brett, uh, ever see the movie Captain Phillips? And there's a line where 
uh, they, they take over the ship and they go, I'm the captain now. <laughs> and so what I say to the both side-ism media, that fascist right-wing echo chamber, this is what I say about the Midas Touch Network. I am the, the captain. captain. <laughs> we <Yeah>. are the <laughs> captain right now. And so we are not going to gaslight you. We're going to deliver the facts and we're going to talk about what's really going on in this country. And a big order right out here in the central district of California where federal judge David Carter, who sits in the central district, southern division in Orange County, made a ruling that Donald Trump, again, more likely than not, engaged in criminal conduct in connection with the January 6th insurrection. And what David Carter was tasked to analyze is whether the crime fraud exception applies. This lawsuit that's before Judge David Carter was initiated by Donald Trump's lawyer, John Eastman, <laughs> brought this case before Judge David Carter. John Eastman's a former law professor at Chapman University. That's a law school in the Orange County area. That's why it's filed in the Central District. And when the January 6th committee subpoenaed his records, he said, attorney-client privilege, attorney-client privilege. I'm not turning over these records. And in the normal course, attorney-client privilege is a confidential relationship between attorneys and client. It's not discoverable in proceedings. So if it was a valid attorney-client relationship and the privilege was asserted validly, the January 6th committee would not get the records. So here, the decision that had to be made by the judge is one, is there attorney-client privilege? And if so, is there any exceptions that would lead to the January 6th committee getting the records? And one of those exceptions is the crime fraud exceptions because... The law doesn't want lawyers and clients committing crimes together. You could represent someone, of course, who is accused of a crime, <laughs> but the purpose of the relationship is not to go out and start breaking the law. So you're telling me that the purpose of the relationship is not to hire somebody to be your criminal accomplice, where you can then just give information to and be like, oh, no, he can't speak because that's actually my attorney. Actually. Yeah, there's and the attorney-client privilege. A criminal defense lawyer and a criminal lawyer. Um, <laughs> And so here, the judge had to apply the factors of whether the crime fraud exception applied. First, was there a crime? And two, were the documents at issue in furtherance of that crime? And here, Donald Trump found with respect to point number one, was there a crime? Yes, there was a crime, obstruction and conspiracy in connection with trying to overthrow our government on January 6th. The next question is, are these documents in dispute in furtherance of the crime? And the judge found a lot of them weren't. There was a crime, but a lot of them weren't. But there was a batch of eight documents that were clearly in furtherance of the crime. And as a lawyer, this is why you have to fight these discovery disputes in litigation, because this is the needle in the haystack that you're looking for. All of John Eastman's efforts to try to stop them from getting the records was a head fake for these documents. He didn't want these eight documents going to the January 6th committee. And they got these records. And what these records show 
is that Donald Trump was specifically aware that all those numbers that he was talking about in Georgia, oh, the 10,000 dead people voted and X amount of felons voted and all of Donald Trump's lawyers knew that was all false. Yep. And that, nonetheless, Donald Trump submitted a false under oath declaration stating that the facts were true and correct. He signed it under penalty of perjury. And we have emails now where but you have Trump's emails. lawyers. We have emails stating that where John Here's, Easton basically says he's signing the declaration under penalty of perjury and he knows the information is false. And the judge says, those types of emails are in furtherance of the crime. January 6th committee gets it, and we get it. We now know about it, Brett. Here's the best part about this, because we know that Donald Trump notoriously does not send emails. He does not really use any form of electronic communications. So anytime that we do have emails, it is a BFD. And let me be clear. Trump didn't send the emails himself. It is his lawyers yep. sending the email saying that we told Trump this, Trump knows this, we're aware of this, directly linking it to Trump. However, what Donald Trump did do was Donald Trump knowingly signed onto false claims Correct. of fraud in a lawsuit in Georgia. And so when you have a moment like that, what that reminds me also is the of the recorded phone call in Georgia. Anytime you have hard evidence, Donald Trump's signature, Donald Trump's voice on a phone call, Donald Trump's lawyers admitting that Trump knows what's going on, that is a big deal right there. And one of the things that I found that was interesting about all this also is four of those emails actually showed that Donald Trump was filing some of these lawsuits not to obtain any sort of legal restitution in any way whatsoever, but he was filing lawsuits specifically for the sole purpose of obstructing an official proceeding, which I think is also super important. I mean, we all know it every time he does this, that it's bullshit, that he's doing delay tactics, that he's doing all this sort of stuff. But to actually see a judge like Judge Carter say, he was doing this very clearly in these emails that they were trying to hide, and he was doing this for the purpose of obstructing an official proceeding, by the way, which is a crime that will ultimately he will probably be charged with. So it's important to also note that framing of it, that it was obstructing an official proceeding in filing these bullshit lawsuits. Correct. That's what in the crime fraud exception. Remember, two part analysis. Was there a crime Were the documents in furtherance of the crime? Was there a crime? Yes. Obstruction and conspiracy in connection with the insurrection. Were the documents in furtherance of it? Yes. Brett, to your point, page 15. There are four documents, however, in which Dr. Eastman and other attorneys suggest that irrespective of the merits, the primary goal of the filing is to delay or otherwise disrupt the January 6th vote. So what is Donald Trump's response to this order? I'm sure he took very a specific details <laughs> calling him out as being a criminal and what specific criminal acts were made. Trump goes to his social media company, um, his platform, and he attacks Judge David Carter. He goes, who is this Clinton appointed, quote, Judge David Carter, who keeps saying and sending to all very nasty wrong and ill-informed statements about me on rulings or a case, whatever 
currently going on in California that I know nothing about, <laughs> nor am I represented. With that being said, please explain to this partisan hack that the presidential election of 2020 was rigged and stolen. Also, he shouldn't be making statements about me until he understands the facts, which he doesn't. What I pointed out in my breaking news alert in response, wait a minute, you're saying you know nothing about I'll get to the other parts about this, but you know nothing yeah, about this, really, because you're saying <laughs> you're not represented. But the last time I checked, the person who initiated this lawsuit that got assigned to Judge David Carter is your lawyer, John Eastman. <laughs> nor am I represented. Literally, your lawyer is asserting your privilege. The privilege isn't his as the lawyer. You are the client. The attorney-client privilege is held by the client. So one of the things I posited, well, if you don't know about this proceeding and you're claiming that there is no attorney-client relationship here, then I think all the other records should now be turned over to the January 6th committee because there were findings made by Judge David Carter that some of the other records were subject to the attorney-client privilege but not in furtherance of the crime. Well, Trump, if you don't know anything about it and you're not saying you're represented, sounds like there's no attorney-client privilege to me. So here's what I called <laughs> upon the January 6th committee to do. I What's said serious? they should file a motion before Judge Carter and they should ask for an evidentiary hearing where Donald Trump has to now appear in person, where they could question him under oath before Judge David Carter, and they can ask him questions. So you know nothing about this. You're not claiming that you're represented to see if the attorney-client privilege actually applies. I also argue that this is a waiver of the attorney-client privilege because he's saying the election is rigged and stolen. Also, he shouldn't be making statements about me until he understands the facts. It sounds like an invitation, and it sounds like he's now saying, I'm telling you what we talked about in the course and scope of this attorney-client relationship. So to me, there's a waiver as well. So if I'm the January 6th committee, in addition to subpoenaing Trump like they've already done and they're doing, I would go right to Judge David Carter and I would say, bring Trump into court right now. We want a motion for reconsideration regarding all the other records that have not been turned over yet. And we want to ask Donald Trump these questions under oath because he's saying it was rigged and stolen, even though the emails say to the contrary. You know what will happen when Donald Trump goes takes the stand. Fifth, I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. That's exactly what he did with Letitia James when he was deposed there after writing all of these truth posts or whatever the hell he calls them. One other point before I pass it to you, Brett, <laughs> Judge David Carter is one of the most respected judges, not just in California, but in the entire country. He's been a judge since 1981. He's a Vietnam War veteran and a hero who's fought at one of the like most well-known battles in Vietnam. He was injured. He received a bronze star. He the Purple uh, Heart. supervised the criminal courts. Uh, he was the head judge uh, over the criminal courts in Orange County, which is not exactly a haven for uh, uh, Democrats um, for most of his career. He was appointed in 1998, and he has this – one, I've appeared before Judge David Card before. He, like, starts his courtroom sometimes as early what, what as – What a humble brag. What a humble brag. I, I, sometimes I he opens no big up deal. court like this. He's, like, the hardest working judge. Like, you know, like court starts normally 830. He's, like, show up at 630. 
Um, and he'll go until midnight. Er, er, early is on time. He's, he's one he'll of those. He'll go until <laughs> 2 a.m. You know, to get the facts right. That's the kind of judge he is. And he also runs major rehabilitation programs for felons, tattoo removal programs. Like the guy's the least partisan person that the like the the least person you could call that is judge david carter and every lawyer who's ever appeared before him knows but this is what trump wants to do brett attack our judicial system just like he did with uh the john durham prosecution right after john durham lost his second criminal trial oh my god the way this john durham all the prosecutions have just blown up in their face i mean at a certain point you just have to laugh like it's it's so incredibly frustrating that they've dra dragged all these people's names through the mud um the, and at the end of the day i want everybody to be clear also like kind of one of the main points about these prosecutions wasn't even getting the result because the cases were so bad they were so bad but these were just really a means for donald trump and bill barr to disseminate so much disinformation into the media landscape that Fox News could run with, that Breitbart could run with, and they got everything they wanted out of those facts. But for those who don't know, Durham was appointed by Bill Barr. Uh, he uh, was, you know, well, Trump, obviously. He was a special prosecutor who was basically specifically hired for the to, to try to he was basically hired to poke holes in the FBI's 2016 Trump Russia investigation. So you have Donald Trump so obsessed over these Russia connections, even with all the documents, the confidential documents that he has with him in Mar-a-Lago. A lot of those apparently are related to the Trump Russia investigation. He wants to clear his name. And now Durham has been 0 for 2, everybody, 0 for 2 in these prosecutions. He did get one guilty plea early on from some like misdemeanor no chart. No jail time, nothing. In the actual case that went to trial, in the actual case that matter, the guy is 0 for 2. And on Tuesday, Durham suffered his second straight trial loss. The D.C. jury acquitted Igor Danchenko on all four remaining counts in Durham's 2021 indictment for making false statements to the FBI. Last Friday, October 14th, the federal judge overseeing the case tossed the first count as just completely unsupported by the evidence. His previous defeat was, of course, in May when the D.C. jury acquitted Michael Sussman, the one-time Clinton campaign right, lawyer. Right, right, right. Listen listen to this. So Igor <laughs> Dechenko told the FBI that he never actually talked with this Democratic consultant, that they never spoke, which was true because he received an email from the Democratic consultant. That's what Igor Dechenko was charged with in a criminal felony trial, whether he actually talked or whether an email can be considered talking. And when he said it was an email versus saying he never talked, that that was, it was never even the underlying fact <laughs> of the underlying information. I kid you not. It sounds that like was, one of these dumb fact checks, like online, you know, <laughs> was it a clap or was it an applause? <laughs> that was what, that's what the lying to the FBI was about and the other the other charge against him was whether or not he had a communication with this Belarusian uh, American business person who he had said someone called me on a uh, encrypted phone app that I believed to be this individual who delivered this information and they said you lied and said you spoke to the Belarusian business person you never actually spoke to him and he said I never said that I spoke to him I said that someone called and I thought it was meanwhile what the FBI tested at this trial was that Igor Dechenko was like one of the most reliable sources. The actual underlying information that he provided was very, very factual. His sources, his sources and methods had always proven to be impeccable in the past. And 
Trump made him a confidential informant to kind of like set him up in 2017 through 2020. They paid him. Trump was the president during that period of time. And then they charge him in 2021. And one point, just to add to what you said, Brett, there, Bill Barr made John Durham a special prosecutor in October 2020, specifically as a poison pill to Biden, because it's much harder to get rid of a special prosecutor than it is to get rid of a United States attorney for a specific uh, district. So he was the United States attorney for Connecticut, John Durham, and actually had a decent reputation until he went down this Bill Barr Trump <laughs> rabbit hole, which was to spread the conspiracies. And again, what's Donald Trump's response to this? He whines on his social media platform, the disgraceful judicial system was on full display yet again with the Dechenko verdict and <laughs> Durham, Durham cannot get a fair shake in the swamp <laughs> of biased and partisan juries where you are told no Republican based on based or supported <laughs> cases can be won no matter how good it is. And judges, they're so biased, unfair, and angry that it's literally dangerous to be in court. I was told by many that Durham's case was a great one, but he has zero, he has zero chance of winning in that court. Sorry, Justin. <laughs> that's so true. I think all <laughs> I think I think all Donald Trump statements need to be read in that whiny voice because that is how I envision it every time you that he take away the politics bread from it. Democrat Republican. If someone talks to you like that, that's what I always say about my <laughs> I go, what the heck is that? Who is this person? Like, what a whining little loser. Like, he's setting aside the <laughs> setting aside the issues. Could you believe that this person is the cult leader? I mean, when you see the type of candidates that they run, you, you know, you get a sense of okay, I I get it, but like, you know, no wonder. I mean, like, like the biggest loser in the world. Like, who writes that? This case went in front of a jury in the eastern district of Virginia. Okay, it's not exactly like, you know, like a, I, I don't know what you just say, like the jury heard the facts. The case was a really stupid freaking case. I described it. The jury's like, why are we here? Like, okay, if you want to bring a trial and your claim is that the underlying information that's given about Trump and Russia is false, okay, at least it's a case if that's what your argument is. But that wasn't but. the case. The case was that the jury's probably sitting there saying, Okay, so we're here about whether he talked versus sent an email, and they they want to put this guy in jail for like. What the heck are we doing? What are we doing here? <laughs> Not guilty, crazy people. That's what they said. Huh. I mean, what the, the reality that they're confronting, and this happens so frequently, but they never. And and we'll talk about this later with Larry Kudlow when we talk about Liz Trust a little bit. But here's the fact. The right wingers, the Trumpers, MAGA, these MAGA Republicans, they build up this phony narrative and they gaslight the public. They even gaslight themselves, I think, at a certain point. <laughs> at a certain point, I think their lies are so out there and pervasive that they don't even know what the truth is anymore because it's going through this ridiculous feedback loop where they say it on TV, gets picked up by conservative radio, written about by their influencers <laughs> on Twitter, and then it's just coming back at them and they don't even know what the truth is anymore. But here's the facts is that 
these right-wing fever dreams do not hold up in the court of law unless you have a judge like Judge Eileen Cannon who is incredibly corrupt. But if you get any competent judge whatsoever, they do not hold up in the court of law at all. And you could make a joke about the, the Trump whining and stuff, but it was like serious right-wing media that was whining about this too. Like, like, like sources that people actually respect and view as serious papers. I mean, let's just look at the Wall Street Journal headlines from over the past year. Durham cracks the Russia case, they wrote in September of 2021. <laughs> the special counsel's indictment tells the real story of 2016 collusion. In October 12th, 2022, they said, John Durham shows how the FBI lets its informants mislead it. Uh, in September of 2021, they also wrote, Durham delivers on Russiagate. October 13th, 2022, Durham's FBI indictment as prosecutions put the Bureau on trial for partisanship and incompetence. Like, how could you be wrong and wrong and wrong every step of the way and at a certain point say, maybe I don't know anything. Maybe I'm wrong about all this stuff. And how do you as a consumer of this media, of the right-wing media, if you're reading the Wall Street Journal or you're watching Fox News, how at a certain point are you just not like offended that you are being lied to and gaslit endlessly by this shit? It's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, Brett, let, let, let's, let, I, I want to, you mentioned the Liz Truss, her resignation as the, she was the conservative prime minister of the UK. And one of the reasons she was forced to resign um, was that her, she came in, she released this tax cut plan on September 23rd, which everyone's like, you're giving tax cuts that you can't pay for to the richest people here in the UK, like right now, like, can you not do that right now? Like that, that makes no <laughs> sense. And the biggest cheerleaders for it, the biggest cheerleaders were MAGA Republicans here in the United States who said, oh, this is brilliant. This is just like the plan that MAGA has if they <laughs> win the house, you know, cheerleading this on. Um, obviously it tanked the economy, um, that everybody's like immediately, immediately, immediately <laughs> tanked the economy, you know, the, the, the value of the pound, like sunk right away, like the crippling economic crisis. Um, but let's go and play the clip, Brett. I believe it's from Larry Kudlaw, by the way, Larry Kudlaw was the former director of being wrong about everything. <laughs> Director I think that was his official title. Uh -huh. He was actually the former director of National Economic Council of the United States. Um, before that, he was on whether CNBC or Fox Business or whatever these shows were. And he's just like the typical arrogant right wing person who like is at your Thanksgiving table and you're like, dude, shut the F up. You don't know. And they're just so loud and I'm not What really is going to happen here is if we give trickle down <laughs> economics and we do the trickle down and the rich people, you don't know. No, no, no. You be quiet. You be quiet. You shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. It's like, okay, can I just eat my one? You're wrong. You have no clue what you're talking about. And can I just please leave this Thanksgiving table? Cause Larry Kudlaw is a freaking annoying idiot. <laughs> like we all have Larry Kud and they're over always wrong. They're just idiots. Play the clip of Larry. Ben, they're always wrong, but they're always so confident in themselves. So, yeah. like, Let, so, so confident. first play the video of Larry Kudlaw saying how great that this plan is by trust. When everybody, all economists worth their grain in salt are like, this is going to fail. We know it's going to fail. Play the clip. So the U.S. midterm elections cavalry arrived early in London. What do I mean by that? 
Well, the new British Prime Minister Liz Truss has laid out a terrific supply-side economic growth plan, which looks a lot like the basic thrust of Kevin McCarthy's commitment to America plan. Let's start with Truss. She is slashing tax rates <laughs> make it up. and deregulating energy. I just love it. That's the liberal business media. This is so wonderful. The liberal business media, you know I'm talking about, is now trashing her plan. That tells me Truss has it exactly right. By the way, Liz Truss is basically operating a Ray Thatcher Trump economic policy. Yeah, the, the, by the way, and this is where we just need to exercise, you know, a, a modicum of intelligence here. You know, Donald Trump brought our deficit, increased our deficit by like $7.5 trillion with his tax cuts as well for the billionaires. It's like, let's give billionaires more breaks. Like they don't have it good enough more private jets, more yachts, and let's convince our base that that is beneficial while we're raising the taxes for our base. We're helping the billionaires. By the way, you add Trump's tax cuts with the miserable way that he implemented the PPP. You get money, you get money. The amount of fraud, the amount of inability of any like, you know, for them to do their job at all and the way they rolled that program. How do you think that, why do you think that there's inflation? Like, duh. And it's mostly the same thing that you're seeing there in the UK. But Brett, Larry Kudlow, wrong about everything. Am I right? Yeah, I, I actually think that this would be a, a really good strategy. And hear me out. I think that President Biden should hire Larry Kudlow. Okay. You following me? And so I think you should go to Larry Kudlow with advice. I, I, I need some tips on how to do X, Y, and Z. And then I think he should do whatever the polar opposite of Larry Kudlow says. And we'd be crushing it as a country. Like I almost want to hire Larry Kudlow as like my personal financial advisor. And then I will just ask him for advice, maybe some stock tips or something. I'll just do the exact opposite of everything he says. I'd be like a billionaire in like a week. Do you have the videos of Kudlow during um, the Trump administration during COVID? Do you have those clips? If we have them, I'd love to see some of those where this is when he was in the Trump administration. Brett, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the clips we're about to play for you, um, there's one which is from the very, there are two clips that are played back to back, okay? The first one is going to be right at the beginning of the pandemic in February of 2020. The second one is going to be after the first wave of COVID in June 2020, uh, prior to the second wave where Larry, where uh, Kudlow says there is not going to be a second wave. So he's wrong twice on this just like wrong. he's wrong that about everything arrogant shit eating grin he's they're wrong about they're idiots they're just idiots play the clip and I'll, I'll play this we have contained this i won't say airtight but pretty close to airtight it's come a long way since uh, last winter and um there is no second wave coming it's just you know hot spot it's the most so. ridiculous, literally <laughs> wrong about every single thing and the way they say it too no, uh, we, we literally we've uh, we've sealed it. I wouldn't say airtight, but we've essentially sealed it airtight. We're we're good, folks. We're good. I mean, you couldn't be more wrong. Their every one of their policies is like that. That's why we have the Midas Touch Network to 
enlighten you know because the, the mainstream media isn't talking about that the mainstream media gives them a pass the mainstream media does all of the gotcha questions with president biden right the gotcha questions so what is the number one single issue that uh that you care about name me the, the top domestic issue is it inflation or abortion or abortion do we have peter Ducey brett asking that question i want to show biden's response when he's asked that question just hoping to clarify for midterm voters, top domestic issues, inflation or abortion. All important. Unlike you, there's no one thing. It crosses the board. Domestic, ask me about foreign policy, too. There's a multiple, multiple, multiple issues, and they're all important. And so, and we ought to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You know that old expression. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's the such a good right response. wing response to that, though, you know how the media would probably, you know, report that they would say Biden's response is he likes bubblegum. Oh, Biden just is a bubblegum guy. It's like, OK, <laughs> like like that's how dumb our mainstream, you know, that's how dumb the media is. And here's another one where a reporter, I think it was this morning, asked Biden. Um, so what's your view? Any restrictions on abortion at all? Do we have that clip, Brett? Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me bring it up. And also, like, as I as I find it, like. The purpose of these questions is not actually to extract information. The purpose of these questions is to get Biden to state the the, the answer to the question that they want. In this case, uh, in this case, uh, Ducey wanted Biden to either pick a side and say inflation or abortion. And then Fox News runs with that headline for the next week. Biden thinks abortion is more important than your pocketbook. And that's kind of they're all looking for just those clickbait stories rather than actually trying to get real information from people. No, they don't want to put in the work. They want the easy stuff. So listen to this. I'll say it's a little bit hard to hear because you have uh, the helicopter and everything going on. But but listen closely and, and we'll tell you what he says after. Restrictions on abortion at all. Any restrictions on abortion yes. at all? Uh, yes, there should be. Yes, what should they be? And Roe v. Wade. Read it, man. You'll get educated. No, I'm going to ask you. Okay. Dark so the brand. question was, should there be any restrictions on abortion at all? And Biden said, yes, it's called Roe v. Wade. Read it, man. You'll get educated. I mean, Roe v. Wade, the decision literally addressed where states where the rights of states come in, where states could have restrictions. That's literally what Roe v. That's what Roe v. Wade is. That's what Casey says. And then when you overturn Roe v. Wade, you allow total abortion bans, which is what Roe v. Wade said couldn't take place. Well, the Republicans are essentially now pretending. I mean, some of them are pretending. Basically, what they support is what Roe v. Wade said, but they're too cowardly to actually say that. So then they support the total abortion bans. And Roe v. Wade struck the balance. Roe v. Wade recognized the complexity of the issue and addressed it in the 1970s. And then in 2022, you have the MAGA extremist Republicans take away that fundamental constitutional right. I want to hit a few more quick stories before we bring in our guest, because I'm so excited to bring in Adam Frisch to talk yes. about his race against Lauren Boebert. But let's quickly hit on Kelly Leffler's text messages. So we're learning that Kelly Leffler was actually a witness um, before the uh, special grand jury in Fulton County. And that's likely how these documents um, work their way into somebody's hands. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is the paper that broke the story. Um, the individual who sent or individuals 
who sent those text messages, also sent it to Politico and a few other outlets. Atlanta Journal Constitutional confirmed first with the recipients that these were legit, but no one knows actually who the source of, of these documents are, but 59 pages, which really just shows uh, Kelly Leffler just being so cowardly and that basically what she was worried about was that she was going to get booed before uh, a Trump rally. And so that's what convinced her that she would say that she was going to object to the results of the Electoral College. And then you have all these MAGA extremists like text messaging her like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Representative Heiss, and they're all saying, hey, you got, you got to do it for Donald. You got to do it for Donald. Or we're meeting in the White House. We need you. We need you to do this for Donald. I mean, these messages are so pathetic and, sh and just show, though, how cowardly she was. And then finally, at the end, after the insurrection, she didn't make the formal objections. And the reason she didn't make the formal objections is one of her advisors said, this could actually hurt your reputation now after you leave. And so she just ping pong kind of back and forth over like yeah. what was going to, you know, and you just see that all of these right wing Republican MAGA extremists are just doing it. You know, they, they don't care about what the, it's a game to them. Like fascism, it's just a game. They don't care about our democracy one bit. That's what came across loud and clear in those messages. Brett. It's a, it's a game, but it's a dangerous game that has serious consequences on people's lives. And that's the thing that is often overlooked when we're speaking about these stories. Um, I, I mean, the fact that she was so concerned over getting retweets and, and making sure that people liked her, I think sums it up uh, at the end of the day after all the pressure that she received from people when she finally said, okay, I'll object. I'll object to the electoral college count because she uh, succumbed to this peer pressure. She texted her aide, who uh, listeners of the show, right? Remember, she texted Stevie Lawson, a uh, little Stevie Lawson, the worst political advisor in American history, who was on her campaign. I think uh, now does Herschel Walker's uh, brilliant campaign and another aide, uh, Trump aide, Taylor Brown. And she wrote, a pack and she wrote please make sure trump retweets my statement so i don't get booed off stage how pathetic <laughs> is that how pathetic is that but i want to focus on a a really kind of tragic text that was released in this mix and it's from trisha raffensperger uh wife of brad raffensperger the secretary of state of georgia and i'll pull up the text right now and this is what trisha said she said this is trisha raffensperger i met you and this is to kelly leffler of course i met you at a christmas party in washington dc never did i think you were the kind of person to unleash such hate and fury on someone in political office of the same party. My family and I um, are being personally besieged by people threatening our lives because you didn't have the decency or good manners to come and talk to my husband with any questions you may have had. Instead, you put us in the eye of the storm. Unlike you, my husband is an honorable man with integrity to do the right thing. We are law-abiding people of faith. I hold you personally responsible for anything that happens to anyone in my family, from my husband, children, and grandchildren. What kind of person are you that you would purposely do this? I am so disappointed. I thought you were better than that. You do not deserve to be in elected office. You are not worthy of the high calling of that position. And good on Trisha Raffensperger for speaking that directly to coward, coward, Kelly Leffler playing with the lives of the Raffensperger family. And these Republicans continue to play with the lives of anybody who dare tell the truth about what happened in the 2020 election, that there was no fraud, that Donald Trump lost 
fair and square. Instead, they made it a plank of the Republican platform. That's how what they're running on, basically, at this point. It's pathetic. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, there was a opinion piece in the Federalist uh, MAGA extremist uh, magazine or digital magazine, whatever you would call it, basically saying, we're not conservative anymore. We shouldn't be conservative. We shouldn't be for small government. We should be for a big oppressive government. That sole goal is to destroy anybody else who doesn't support MAGA extremist ideology, essentially saying that it's their view to, yeah, we just called, we need to stop calling ourselves conservative and that the MAGA extremists need to just take over government by authoritarian means and do what's ever necessary to seize control of the country, regardless of what the election results are. Brett, as you always like to say, it's the quiet part out loud and it's, they, they, they don't care anymore. They're, they're done with the democracy. They're done with democracy. It's authoritarian, it's MAGA extremist, it's overturn elections. That's why it's so important, though, that we spread these messages of truth. Just finally, one thing I want to touch on as well, Lindsey Graham lost his emergency motion uh, before the 11th Circuit. He's desperately tried not to appear before uh, uh, the district attorney of Fulton County, Fawny Willis's uh, prosecution, where she's before a special grand jury right now uh, in Fulton County. He said I don't, he's tried to assert the speech and debate clause, which uh, supposed to protect the legitimate legislative activities of senators and members of Congress of what they do on the floor of the Senate and the House and other things directly connected with their legitimate legislative roles. And he argued that everything he did is legislative. He was just the reason why he was speaking to the Trump campaign, the reason that he was reaching out to Raffensperger. He was just fact finding, Brad. He was just doing research as a senator yeah. from South as Carolina. From South Carolina, Very that focused. makes a lot of sense to go to Georgia. And yeah. what the 11th Circuit found and what the district court found is that no, the, that's the, the speech and debate clause does not protect all communications that you could even say are related um, to legislative activity. This is not related to legislative activity. The communications that you had with Trump, um, efforts that you may have made to exhort or cajole or pressure the Secretary of State of Georgia and other officials to overturn the results of their election and other statements you made to the press are all fair grounds for Fawny Willis uh, to question you on. And Lindsey Graham thought he was going to get a favorable audience, the 11th Circuit. But here, the 11th Circuit, which has a reputation for being a right-wing court, they ruled and made the right decision in the Mar-a-Lago search warrant case, ordering the 100 top secret classified records be returned to uh, the Department of Justice in a per curiam unanimous decision. Same thing here, per curiam, meaning a unanimous decision by everybody on the panel, uh, uh, you know, ruling that Lindsey Graham can't hide behind the speech and debate clause and that he will have to testify. When? Will he testify? There's a quiet period now in the special grand jury proceedings until after the midterm elections. And then Lindsey Graham will be testifying shortly thereafter. 
justice served. The wheels of justice moved in the right direction on that one. We will keep you posted there. One of the things I want to also mention to everybody is if you love independent media like this, join us on patreon.com slash Midas Touch. I always get asked by our viewers, by our supporters, what can you do to help grow this independent media platform? You know, our competition, the both sideism media and the right wing fascist echo chamber media. They are funded by billionaires and billion dollar investments. We have zero outside investors. Larry Kudlow actually gets paid to say that shit. Literally zero. (laughs) And so if you want to help grow this, one way that you can help out is by going to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, patreon.com slash Midas Touch. There are a number of exclusive membership packages there that you could join. And one of them, you could become an honorary producer of this Midas Touch podcast and your name will appear during the podcast like it is right now on our YouTube channel. And it will also appear at the end of our podcast. Special shout out to our honorary producers. You could also get postcards for me and my brothers, exclusive podcast conduct content, behind the scenes footage, and more. But most importantly, you can help us grow this independent media platform. So I always get asked, how can I help? How can I help? Subscribing right now is one way. Sharing these videos is another way. Leaving a five-star review is another way. But really, a big way to help grow this thing, become a member at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Just think about all the other things that you subscribe to, and I, I bet you that Midas Touch is something that you probably watch more than all that other stuff. So patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Also, check us out at the unapologetically pro-democracy gear at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Our new Make Attorneys Get Attorneys hat. It's a blue hat. Make attorneys get. Attorneys. I love this. That's what so MAGA much. actually <laughs> stands for. We also have the Midas touch hat. We got, I read banned books, uh, sweatshirt for the fall and winter. I love the, I read banned books. We also have the knockout fascism, uh, beanie. I love the knockout fascism beanie. We also have Rovember shirts, row, row, row your vote shirts. We also have convict or convict 45 shirts, person, woman, man, camera, prison shirts, and more store.midastouch.com. Check it out. Get the merch, support Midas Touch. We really appreciate it. Now, let's bring in our guest, Adam Frisch, the Democratic candidate running against Lauren Boebert in Colorado's third congressional district. Brett, cue in the interview. We are joined by Adam Frisch from Colorado's third congressional district race. Adam is running as the Democratic candidate against Lauren Boebert. We have a lot to discuss. Adam Frisch, welcome to the podcast. Great. Super excited to be here, gentlemen, and super excited to have our conversation and share our journey out here in Western and Southern Colorado. We're inundated with good news. Uh, Nicole on social media, I just told her before we're going to have to hire her a couple assistants. We just have such, we're just being overwhelmed with endorsements um, and good polling numbers. So happy to get into those conversations with you guys. 
So Adam, when I gave you that intro, I don't know if you saw what I did and it was intentional. I just tried to will it into existence that you would just be from, you know, I, I normally say the candidate from the third congressional district, but I said, Adam from the third congressional district. So we certainly look the nation, whether you really are, uh, uh, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're an independent, whether you are someone who once identified as a Republican, Lauren Boebert may have an R next to her name, but she should have an M-E next to her name for MAGA extremist because that's what she represents. I want to hear a little bit about your background, Adam, first before getting into the race. Why would you step into the arena? Can you tell us about just your background, business, family, et cetera? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. Again, uh, my first five years, I was actually born on the Indian Reservation in northeastern Montana, Fort Peck Indian Reservation. My father was in the public health service. My mom was doing some community service at the time. He went on to become an OBGYN for about 50 years. He spent his last couple of years of his career working for Planned Parenthood, making sure those next generation of healthcare providers um, had the educational tools to make sure they could take care of all those patients that Planned Parenthood sees. I have three younger sisters. Uh, the youngest one is an OBGYN back in Minnesota. I grew up in Minneapolis, kind of kindergarten through high school, uh, spent a little too much time ski racing, ended up at the University of Colorado at Boulder, studied economics, and went out to New York City on a bit of a whim um, with a buddy of mine, waited tables for about a year, and then spent about eight or nine years working in the world of finance. Um, I uh, did three years on the socially responsible investing for a while, which was in its infancy as an industry. And then I transferred over to spend about seven or eight years traveling the world involved in international interest rates and currencies and foreign exchange. And I was doing, I did business in about a hundred countries and went, went to about 40 or 50 of them, Asia, Latin America, Middle East, um, Africa. Uh, sadly, that all came kind of crashing to an end literally um, and just went to too many 9-11 funerals. I had worked in uh, two World Trade Center for a couple of years and worked in seven World Trade Center for a couple of years. That's the building that went down in the evening. And I figured it was time to reset. Met a gal out in, in the western slope of Colorado who also had a little bit of misspent youth ski racing. And I thought that if we were going to move to Aspen, it'd be good for us to build community and have a chance to do get into business. Got into some home building construction for a little bit. Then I spent eight years on city council, mostly focused on affordable housing. Um after eight years of that, uh, my wife ended up getting on our school board. She's now the president of our school board. We have a 15-year-old daughter. Uh, we have a 16-year-old son who's, we're pro-education. I got a substitute teaching license when COVID started to help out pre-K-4 and kindergarten. But my 16-year-old son is our volunteer coordinator, and he's decided to take a gap year in high school. He's 16, and he's um, just driving around with me. We've done about 10,000 miles together. We're doing a lot more just to get this word out. Um, why now? About a year ago, I looked at some, uh, Representative Bobart made some comments. Don't ask me what they were. They were bad. She's said worse every day. Um, and I just looked at Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, Mo Brooks. You look at all these extremists on the right, and they all had 65 to 75 percent wins in 2020 in their general election. Again, so they all had 65 to 75 percent wins in 2020. And Lauren Bobart only had 51 percent. She did not win her home county. Those that know her do not care for her. And a lot more people know her now than did before, and not for good reason. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, you know, we've been redistricting. The district used to be R5, so five points generally, generically ahead for the Republicans. Right. It's now nine points for Republicans. So the only way I wanted to get into this race for a couple of reasons. One, 
she is who she is. We don't need to spend a lot of time talking about that. Two, of all these extremists, she's the only one in the entire country where there's any chance of really seeing her seeing an extremist defeated. I cheer on all the other candidates that are running against Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jim Jordan, but it's really this is where we're going to see the emotional win for the country. And my view was if a moderate, pragmatic Democrat could get by the Democratic primary, I could build this bipartisan coalition to defeat her. And we started down, we should have been starting down 12 points. We started down seven. We're now somewhere between minus two and up five, depending on the polling. Personally, I think we're probably about even, maybe a little bit ahead, not by much. Um, We've been endorsed um, by her Republican primary challenger, who got 36% of the vote. We've launched a Republicans for Fresh website. We're getting endorsed (laughs) by the conservative um, Western Slope newspapers. We're seeing a bunch of other people uh, come in and back us. And so we're building this uh, bipartisan, as my mom calls it, the pro-normal party. And here we are. That's what the pro-normal party, or as Tim Ryan called it during his debate, the exhausted majority right now with people like Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Gohmert and the rest of them. So when you're out there shaking hands, what do people in Colorado's third asking you about? What do they care about? And where's the contrast that you draw? Obviously, there's a huge contrast between you and Lauren Boebert, but you only have so much time when you're shaking a hand. Yeah. So what do you, what's your elevator speech? So uh, before we get to issues, there's a couple of things that resonate with a lot of people. When I tell people that I, I think a lot of people want the circus to stop, that resonates with a lot, a lot of people, regardless of whether they're Republicans, independents, or Democrats. When I talk about that, I would if there was a get stuff done party, I'd be in that party. I've said that for like 20 years, but that party's not doing very well right now, as you gentlemen know, and a lot of your viewers, that resonates with a lot of people. When I tell people that I really want to go, my first goal about going to DC is to go join this Problem Solvers Caucus, which is made up of 29 Democrats and 29 Republicans uh, and working together to, to kind of move issues forward in a bipartisan manner. So listen, this, this district is eight larger than the state of Mississippi. It's 50% the state of Colorado. And this is something that I made it very clear to the Democratic primary. And now the district is about 25% D Democrat, 31 Republican, and 43 unaffiliated. So again, 25D, 31R, 43 unaffiliated. The only way that a Dem can win in this district is because we have an extremist who's just off her rocker. And more importantly, she's not focused on the district's needs. And that is why I think we can build this coalition. And that is why we're getting endorsed by a bunch of self-described conservatives that are showing up in letters to the editor. Um, Whether it comes to water, which is really important to to Western and Southern Colorado, which is a little bit different than out East or in the Midwest. um, It's about as unpartisan as it gets. And that just comes to a competency question. And the question I ask is, who do you want representing you and your family and your business and your community and your kids and your grandkids and your parents in D.C. about almost every issue? And how do you want to be represented? And this is what resonates with a lot of people. Um, she's zero for 39 on her legislative um, success. She's turned in 39. Uh, she's sponsored or co-sponsored 39 bills, and zero of them have got out of committee. She's voted against hundreds of millions of dollars that have come that should have come back to this district. She's been one of two voters who voted, didn't support leukemia research increasing. It was her and Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was one of seven voters, one of 17 voters, one of 20 voters, three for Putin, um, two against expanding NATO for our Nordic friends up in Europe. Um, She just doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. And a lot of Republicans and independents are knowing that. And that's how we're building our lead. And so as you head into uh, Election Day, I mean, we're 
you know, uh, just a few weeks at this point away. Um, do you have a closing argument that's been any way different based on changing of circumstances right now, whether it is the uh, decision by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade and, and what that means within the district, whether it is um, any of the developments in terms of foreign policy, any things that shifted over the past four or five months that maybe has that you've adapted to show that contrast? Well, I mean, you know, on one thing, the team we have has been awesome. And what I thought back a year ago, you know, there, there's we've had a great amount of success going from minus 12 to minus seven to minus two to positive, pro- probably and possibly above this. Um, without a do- without a doubt, um, I've always been pro-choice. And I can mention that for my family. My father had to deal with bomb threats uh, back in Minnesota when I was growing up for the work that he was doing. Um but obviously what happened in Kansas was a huge shot across the bow, especially with the support of um, Kansas. And Kansas demographics are a lot like our district. We call it CD3 here. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of buyer's remorse uh, in the Republican Party for Roe being overturned. You saw a lot of people go up on their website and literally scrape a lot of their extremist views because they realize they're not politically um, um, popular. And I'm not even sure if those members believed it or not. Um, a little bit to Lauren Boebert's credit, she is sticking to her guns that under no circumstances um, should the life of the mother, the health of the mother, rape or incest be any part of any conversations for exceptions uh, regarding woman's reproductive health freedom. And that puts her in probably like eight or 10% of the country. Um, and so that's been a really big thing we're talking about um, on the economic stuff. Um, you know, she's, I think she's about 0 for 5 in her small business career. Uh, I certainly haven't had a perfect career, but I've had a pretty good run uh, as a small business owner, as well as working with central banks and foreign ministers all over the world, literally. And so I think people are just seeing that at some point, competency matters and focus on the job of what you're supposed to do really, really matters. And we're going to continue with that throughout day one. Um, Again, I've been to a lot of countries. Um, I wish we had more conversations about uh, foreign affairs and foreign policy, but given uh, that... uh, food costs and gas prices and rent and mortgages are spinning out of control in CD3. I fully appreciate that we really need to hammer away on that number one issue to make sure that all these families in CD3 have this livability um, access, whether it's healthcare, good education, safety in their communities. And these are the kitchen table issues that really matter to a lot of people. And that's what I'm focused on as well. And perhaps no candidate on the right has leaned into this brand of MAGA extremism like Lauren Boebert has. As you said, she's owning it. All right. Um, I mean, she's been expressing her beliefs. And I think this is particularly dangerous that the United States of America should be a Christian nationalist nation, uh, which flies totally in the face of our separation of church and state, which she claims doesn't even exist at all. Boebert said, and I quote, I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk that's not in the Constitution. Constitution. What do you make of that? And why should Coloradans of all religions be fearful of that yeah. kind of mindset? So at, at a higher level, so, uh, another quip I have, which is meant with sincerity, and I got this from my buddy, Dean Phillips, who's also a, who's a member of Congress in Minnesota. Where I grew up. He talks about this angertainment industry that has kind of taken over politics and that ecosystem. And I think that Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene are the queens of this angertainment industry, yelling and screaming, not even focusing on those that vote for her. 
uh, th those that do voted for her. And so um, that resonates with a lot of people. Now, there's a couple of subsets of, of that angertainment. One of them is this conversation about the separation of church and state. I don't spend a lot of time talking about Christian nationalism. I don't, I don't think any religion nationalism is a good thing, but without a doubt, we're not shy letting her, letting people know that she really does want an almost theocracy. When you start saying that the church and the state should be mingled, uh, you really start to question if someone actually understands uh, the U.S. Constitution, especially that First Amendment and especially that Establishment Clause, which is one of the bedrocks of our country. So um, I'm supportive of all religions, however people want to practice it. That's all good for them. But we certainly, certainly, certainly do not want any type of state control of government, uh, of religion. And these debates have been so incredibly interesting to watch. I mean, we've seen in the past few days, we've seen uh, the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock debate. We saw you a few weeks ago go against Lauren Boebert, or I thought it was you going against Lauren Boebert, yeah, but Lauren Boebert seemed to think that she was debating Nancy Pelosi, uh, yeah. spouting her name over and over and over again. First, what were you even thinking during that debate when it was like she wasn't even competing against you? <laughs> well, the first thing she did was spend 10 minutes attacking the moderator uh, and the moderator, I believe, is a moderate Republican. We were at this thing called the Club 20, which is an organization of 20 counties. And 90% of the members of Club 20 are agricultural, ranching, farming, or in the energy sector. You know, this was not the Boulder, Colorado Botanical Club. So, you know, this goes back to the whole point. She's the gift that keeps on giving. I don't know why you attack a moderator at all, let alone one that's probably uh, kind of on your side if you want to get into that conversation. Right. Um, but I, I felt like I was interrupting an Aspen City Council uh, debate between for city council between Nancy Pelosi and Lauren Boebert, because I think I, my name was mentioned once and she mentioned Nancy Pelosi's name like 32 times. It was a really funny uh, Twitter summary of this that I think got like one and a half million views or something like that. And this is coming from a guy who had about a, literally had 117, uh, not 117,000. I had 117 followers uh, halfway through our primary. Now we have over 150,000 and wow. people are just kind of catching on. And so. And again, you know, she must have some statistics that um, Nancy Pelosi is a great thing to always talk about. I've said with respect, um, I'm not going to be supportive of Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House. She's done a great job, but I do think it's time to kind of see those next generation of congressional leaders come up. The Democrats have a deep bench, and I mean that with respect, but she obviously just she doesn't have a lot to go on about me. And so she's really kind of focusing on this national issue of really bashing against Nancy Pelosi and President Biden. Yeah, certainly an interesting strategy to watch. Uh, I mean, going through that process, do you have any advice to some of these other Democratic candidates going against extremists like Lauren Boebert on how to handle uh, the way they debate by just spreading these lies and having these distractions and diversions? You know, one of the things that's been hard and I knew it was going to be hard from the start is I have a true belief that people want the circus to stop. So they want to see someone that's respectful and thoughtful and focused on the issues. But at the same time, when you start running against some of these name brand extremists that are part of this entertainment industry, a lot of people really want to see you push back. And so we've been relentless on her votes and we're not spending any time on our personal foibles. I don't believe the personals, the personal issues of people and their background and their family should be in any type of way be brought into these, these elections. But, um, you know, when she shows a picture of standing next to vets, we point out right away that 80 percent of the time she's voted against veterans groups. Mm -hmm. When she has a picture of uh, firefighters, seven seconds later, Nicole is up there pointing uh, to the exact date and time in legislation where she voted against increasing support for firefighters. And we can go on and on and on. She considering she votes against almost anything, any group that she's with, we can easily point out. 
uh, where she has voted against the interests of the district's needs. And we have a we have a lot of veterans and in CD3 in Western and Southern Colorado. Uh, it's a really important group as it is as a nation. And so, um, you know, we're very focused on that. And so we hammer her on her votes and we hammer her on her zero for 39 legislative um, career, if you will. You know, are you trying to be zero for 78? Is that your pitch for reelection? Um, that's what we're focused on. Um, we do it hard um, and we focus on these issues. We don't get into the whole personal mudslinging. I don't think people want to hear that. That's all part of this um, issue with the circus to stop. And it, it, it stops good people from running. Um, you know, my eight years on city council, I called it elected community service. My wife's Katie is the president of our school board. That's elected community service. And I wanted to step up because I actually thought I had something to offer. Because what I've said now is what I shared in the Democratic primary. And what I've said as a father uh, and a husband of 19 years um, and 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 as a small business owner, which is just kind of, let's just kind of focus on playing inside the 20, both sides of the 20 yard line or both sides of the 30 yard line, move the needle forward. 80% of the country is not spending all their time on Twitter as they are. They're really focused on making sure that their families are looked after. They have safe schools, safe communities. They have a good job prospect and they have a time uh, to relax and see their friends in their community. It's funny because you you clearly have a wealth of policy proposals, but it seems like almost above all your big thing is like, don't we just want to be normal? Everybody yes. like, <laughs> like, cut, cut, yeah. like cut out the, like th these people are weird. They're extremists. Like, don't we just want normalcy? Do you think more campaigns should just be highlighting that fact? Like we want to get back to normal enough of the circus. The, the, the hard part is, and again, um, and I, I like my numbers, whatever, but yes, it, it, I have some policy chops, if you will. And I, I like to know what's going on. Um, but the higher level conversation is stop the madness. But again, um, you, you have eight or nine brand name extremist Republicans and they're extremists partly in their views, but partly how they um, allocate and advocate those views. And again, when you win 65 to 75% of the vote, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, the chances of losing are so slim. And it's taking a while. People are catching up now. Here I am with you guys on a national level. The people are realizing this is the probably, sadly, I wish there were more opportunities, but this is probably the only place in the entire country that we can see an emotional win to stop this madness. And so we have a rare opportunity and a rare window to do that. But hopefully next time we can just start chipping away at the extremism and kind of work our way from there. But yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer that people want the circus to stop, whether you're in Georgia or whether you're in Colorado, or whether you're in Nevada, or whether you're in New Mexico. And it's really about to toning down the rhetoric and toning down the volume and focus on the issues that matter to the most people. Um, and this entertainment industry about extremism is just not working for her. And that's why she's, you know, we think we're, she, we're statistically tied, if not a little bit ahead. And we're, we're marching forward 24-7. Um, we're about to launch a 12-day 70 city um, stop. We're going to go visit 70 communities, including some that have hundreds of people in them, um, up to our largest Pueblo, which is about 150,000 people. And we're just miles and miles and miles on the road. And it's awesome. Wow. That is fantastic. And I, I promise this will be the only time I ask you about your opponent here. But since you brought up sort of how people are sick of that extremism, how they're, they just want normalcy back in their lives, back in their politics. What did you make of the fact that on January 6th, Boebert tweeted, today is 1776 at 8.30 a.m.? And then not only did she do that, hours later, I'm reading this now, at 2.18 p.m., she said the speaker has been removed from the chambers, essentially letting folks know that the speaker of the House has 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 been moved and that 
you know, find her somewhere else at this point. What do you make of those comments? I mean, they're disturbing, aren't they? They're horrifying and they're scary. And let's be serious for a minute. There are two or 300 uh, Republicans running uh, for some level of state or national level. They're just election deniers. Um, And sending out those tweets that puts her at the very, very top of these election deniers. Um, And it's really scary. I mean, she is showing up uh, at conservative rallies with Victor Obarn, who is an autocratic, uh, you know, anti-Semitic, homophobic, xenophobic leader of Hungary. Uh, she just tweeted out a couple of days ago that she's super excited about the election results in Italy. Um, I'm not sure if she actually knows what fascism is, but basically there was a pro-fascism collective that ended up winning in Italy and she's supporting them. Um, there were three votes over the past couple months, over the past six months, about basically Ukraine versus Putin. And she decided uh, to side with Putin three times, one of seven on one on one votes, I think one of 17 and one of 20. So she's just out of step, not only with that, but with the Republican Party. Um, and why can I understand some Republican votes vote for some things about that, this or that, lower taxes, different regulation. Those are all interesting conversations to have. But why you are backing fascism, why you are backing uh, Viktor mm-hmm. Orban from Hungary, why you are backing uh, Putin is beyond me. And this is why we're starting to get more and more letters to the editor talking about conservatives and Republicans that want to see her gone, not just the traditional Democratic and independent voters of the coalition that we're building to win. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to go back to something that you said pretty quickly when we started this interview, but I, I don't want to look it over. So your son's been helping out with the campaign. That's amazing. The family's been helping out. That's awesome. Usually, you know, in politics, it's, it could go either way. You know, maybe sometimes the the, the wife or, or the husband or, or whomever in the family doesn't want their person to run because, you know, they're a little bit scared about what attention that brings. But so far, everything seems super supportive. How, how cool has that been? And, and what sort of bonding, you know, ha- has come from all of this? No, it's been awesome. Uh, you know, my wife and I, um, she comes from a pretty strong business background as well. And we've been rock solid through this whole thing um, through today and going on forward. Uh, I think her and Felix kind of, uh, my 16-year-old son, will kind of really push me over the edge to really get in and do this. Um, and they saw that opportunity. They saw me having these conversations about normalcy and bipartisanship. And they really pushed me hard about it. And it was I'm, it was really glad that they did. My 15-year-old daughter has been super helpful as well, more behind the scenes, but she's been super supportive. And I know she's proud of her father that's really willing to stand up and take some blows uh, in, in the public sphere. Uh, and we knew that we were going to kind of, you know, the, the the mud dragon has been started and stuff like that, but we're, we're remaining on the high road. Um, and as far as doing, you know, we're doing, I'm basically doing a 20,000 mile uh, road trip with my son. Uh, luckily, he's doing most of the driving these days, so allows me to work on some other stuff, but it's just been great. <laughs> Um, he had some of his uh, high school friends that came out uh, over the summer and we were just driving around and there's no better education uh, than driving thousands and thousands of miles, uh, visiting a wide variety of people. This district is incredibly diverse. You have a couple um, kind of high-end ski towns, if you will, and you have some of the most remote, some of the poorest counties in the country, a lot of agriculture, a lot of farming, a lot of energy production. Pueblo is incredibly proud to be blue collar, working class, you know, to two Pueblo's horn, they have a 150-year-old steel mill uh, that produces produced a lot of the, the, the railroad ties for the country. It's 90% solar power now. It's just a great wow. story of authentic facts of how we can do some of this energy transformation 
that we as we try to manage this um, climate crisis that we're dealing with. And also, they're about to become the world leader in producing the wind turbine towers, these 300 foot towers uh, that you see in kind of the, the plains of of the United States. And so there's just a lot of great things driving around. I'm getting fat, but besides that, at least I'm eating a lot of really great food. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> that no cooler thing to do that, that than that bonding experience with the family. That is so awesome. And as you're driving around, you know, obviously you're talking ton- to tons of different folks on the ground over there. What are some sort of local, hyper-local issues that you're having your conversations with that aren't traditionally getting, you know, the, the mainstream quote unquote media pickup that you'd like to talk about here? So, you know, Western and Southern Colorado, the the biggest town, Pueblo, 150,000. Uh, second biggest town, 100,000 around Grand Junction. After that, we go down to a couple 25,000 person towns, and then you get into some really, really small towns. And even in Pueblo and Grand Junction, there's this commonality of about community, about living, not in a really big city. And whether you're rich or poor, right or left, Anglo or Hispanic, it really is about living in a smaller town and feeling like a smaller community and running into people you know at the restaurants and at the bars and at the bowling alleys and at the softball games. And th- those are that's a common theme I hear a lot about. Um, we Ag is very important um, and ranching is really important, but water is the number one issue that is perennial number one. Obviously, if we weren't having 40-year high inflation, that would be the conversation we'd be having even more so now. And water out west, you know, in Wyoming and New Mexico and Utah, but especially in Colorado, uh, the vast majority of the water that feeds California and Nevada and Arizona and Wyoming and New Mexico um, and Utah actually come from the, the headwaters of the Colorado mountains. Um, and we are, we're running into a 20 year drought, which is a subset of a 1200 year drought. Um, and so this is a very serious conversation about water. And as I mentioned before, it's all about competency. There's not a single person, no matter how extreme you are on the right or how extreme you are on the left. We all understand that water is a lifeblood for ecological reasons, for the climate crisis, for our recreation industry, for our ranchers and our farmers and our energy production. Um, it's partly old line energy as well as the solar, the wind, and the, and the geothermal. Um, and water is, is again, just the lifeblood of that. And that's something that doesn't get a lot of a national attention. Uh, but this is how we're winning a lot of people over, especially those in the business community, especially those that have families uh, that are ranchers and farmers. It's purely a competency question. And purely, are you actually going to focus on the job of making sure that our district, our families, and our businesses, and our communities retain as much water as possible? I love the way you say that too and position it about competency. It's something we say on the show a lot. It's like, we don't elect leaders because problems aren't going to arise. We elect leaders because problems will inevitably arise. And we want the best person possible to be in that situation to help lead when there's a crisis. And so, I mean, yeah. go on, please. No, I was going to say, you know, I think someone ran an ad like, uh, like there was a two, this was a foreign relations ad run a long time ago, but like, who do you want answering the phone at two o'clock in the morning when there's an emergency, uh, an emergency national affairs issue? But my view is not so much who do you want if if the phone happens to ring at 10 a.m. It's basically who do you want on a daily basis at the 10 a.m. meeting in Washington, D.C., in the <laughs> 3 o'clock meeting in Washington, D.C. on a daily basis about anything to do with your family, anything to do about your business, anything to do about your community. Who do you want sitting there on a daily basis, not just if something goes wacky? And that's perfectly what said. a lot of people. Perfectly, perfectly, perfectly said. And so, well, look, we have a super passionate audience out there, super passionate listenership. Where mm-hmm. can folks find out more about your campaign? Where can they help donate? Where can they help text bank, phone bank, wherever? Thanks, guys. Yeah, so adamforcolorado.com. 
is our is our headquarters. It's the it's the it's the um, the big focus of kind of everything goes on in our campaign. Um, for those of you that might be on the Republican side, we have a Republicans for Frisch com as well, which is also getting uh, great traction. Um, my son Felix is running all of our volunteer coordinators. Uh, he's making a lot of phone calls with uh, a lot of different volunteers. So if anybody wants to make some phone calls on our behalf, we go from four to six p.m. Colorado time daily. Felix at AdamForColorado.com. Uh, there's a way to donate on there. We've had a really good um, run of money lately. I sadly, I wish we didn't need as much as we did, uh, but she's well financed from around the country. And so uh, whether it's $5 to $2,900, there's a big donate button um, on adamforcolorado.com. And I really appreciate the time on the phone with you, gentlemen. Thank you, Adam Frisch. Enough with the circus people. Enough with the embarrassment. Let's have a leader who actually leads and focuses on the issues and does their job. Adam Frisch running for Colorado's third congressional district. Adam, thanks so much. Ben, Brett, Jordy, thank you for talking and all you do. Adam Frisch, come on, guys, Colorado, Colorado, please choose normal. You have uh, the contrast could not be clearer. I mean, come on. You have somebody who will work for you, not embarrass you, work for you, not embarrass you. No, we don't. You don't need to have the circus. You just don't need to have this circus. You could actually have somebody who cares about the issues important to the country as a whole and who cares about the most important issues of your lives. Remember, when you're electing somebody to office, they actually have power over your lives, over your family's lives. You need to elect somebody like Adam Frisch and not somebody like Lauren Boebert, who has proven herself to just be a complete joke and just so horrible for your families and for our country. Come on. The secret sauce of the Midas Touch Network is that while we may be called a network, in reality, we are a community. Mm -hmm. We are a community of people who are unapologetically pro-democracy. We are a coalition, no matter what side of the aisle you may have once been on, At the end of the day, we share these values of compassion. We share these values of pro-democracy. We share these values of uplifting each other. We share these values of hard work. We share these values of of treating every human being with dignity. And that's what I love about this community. We want to protect our freedoms in the truest sense of what the Constitution really means, not the way it has been perverted by MAGA extremists. And I want to thank everybody who's a part of this community. Midas Touch is not possible without you. But what I also love about the community is that the community is active. Yeah. And after we do these podcasts, the community doesn't just say, well, a good podcast. Ben did a funny Donald Trump wine impression, which it was I great. It was, it was epic. Good. It was a good wine impression. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Pretty, good pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> but then we don't just turn on what's next. Now is where we have our call to action. As you know, me and my brothers, we weren't even really political before we started Midas Touch. And I promise you, if we can do it, you can do it too. And the exponential impact of everyone's efforts here can truly turn the tide of an election. 
So no matter what, whether it's just messaging our videos to people and spreading the word or just sharing the truth or making sure people are registered to running for local office to becoming a poll you know to 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 help it out on election day itself to um whatever it is having small events whatever it is just just do your part and get out the vote get out the message um, and that's really what's most important here. Make sure you hit subscribe. And now would also be the time to go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. As I said, we're not funded by any outside investors at all. So one way you can help grow this independent media community is by joining the Patreon community where there's exclusive behind-the-scenes footage, exclusive podcasts that are unique to Patreon. Don't worry, we're still going to do our content on YouTube and the audio and make all this other stuff available for free. But we do have some exclusive benefit membership packages at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, ones that I think you will love, including becoming an honorary producer of the Midas Touch podcast, getting postcards from me and my brothers, uh, and more. But most importantly, it's a way that no matter where you are in the world, to be able to help grow this independent media platform. We are close to having 2,000 patrons in under 60 days. I really want to hit that goal. And to help us hit that goal, go right now to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. Join one of those membership tiers. It would really go a long way to help this network Join the Patreon community now. Also, get your unapologetically pro-democracy gear at store.midastouch.com. Let others know you're a member of the Midas Mighty by wearing your pro-democracy gear. We've got new stuff like the I Read Band book sweatshirt that was just on the screen for our audio listeners. There it is again. We got the Rovember, Row, Row Your Vote. Uh, shirts. We've got the knockout fascism beanie. We've got the make attorneys get attorneys blue hat because that's actually what MAGA stands for. We've got the convict or convict 45. Use it either way. Very versatile. Camera prison t shirt (laughs) as well. The Midas Touch gear is a hundred percent union made a hundred percent made by the way i I wish i pulled the clip but we had a mighty member of the midas mighty uh who was being interviewed about voting i saw it on twitter yesterday i got to find it for the next show and they were wearing while they were being interviewed by the local news they were wearing a it wasn't rigged you're just the loser midas touch t-shirt and it was the coolest thing ever to see the Midas Mighty out there getting it done. We are everywhere, folks. We are everywhere and together. We are going to do this. We are going to get out there. We're going to do everything in our power to win these elections. That's right. They say imitation is the best form of flattery, but not when you don't make the shirts that you copy of ours, not in the U.S. and not union made. <laughs> so, so don't I do see it. you copycats online. I see you all. If you do want to copy it, make them union made and make them <laughs> in the United States. Store.MidasTouch.com. And if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel and you're watching this video, like, come on, what do you do? It's free to subscribe. It literally is just boop. You hit the subscribe button and we're on our way to 1 million subscribers with your support. Hit the subscribe button now. 
If you are an audio listener, go check out the Midas Touch YouTube channel and see what everyone's raving about. And if you are YouTube viewers, go check out wherever you get your audio podcast. Search Midas Touch and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your audio podcast and leave a five-star review there. And while you're walking or jogging or in your car, if you want to say, you know what? I really want to hear Ben's impressions again. I really want to hear Ben's legal analysis again, but I'm driving my car or I'm going for a walk. Boom. You can do it on your audio device. And it helps with the algorithm too. make sure we stay always in the top of the podcast charts. Leave that review. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on audio. Go to store.midastouch.com. Go to patreon.com. Get out the word. If that sounds like a lot of work, people, it is. But we need your help. Now's <laughs> the time to do it. Now's, Now's the time to do, to do it. it. But, and but for the- all, but all seriousness, like I, I, I have a lot of, you can tell by when I do this, I have a lot of fun doing this because I love the Midas Touch community so much. And I wake up every morning. I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited to be able to uh, have this incredible uh, community where even without the brothers, me and my, we're, we're brothers, by the way. There are some people who are like, oh, you three are brothers. Yeah, we're brothers. Duh. Ben, Brett, and Jordy Micellus. We have the same last name. We're brothers. But even without us, I love when the community helps each other, uplifts each other. You know, we're sometimes we all go through difficult times. I just love seeing the community come together and support each other. And that is the ultimate energy for me to wake up early to get you the information, to spread the truth for me, Brett and Jordy, to focus on further building this pro-democracy community. You are the answer. We appreciate all of your support. Again, um, Brett, Brett, I'm so grateful for all the uh, members of the- uh, fun, I almost don't want to show, end the man. show, but I guess we have to end the show. We just keep going for a few more keep hours. Going. I'm like, I really- I, 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 I got I, an I, idea. I'm Let's- you know, we, we, we had people stick with us till the very end, and I think that's really cool. So I, I, I want to reward them with one of my favorite clips that we didn't get to show that we had on the outline today. And this is Marco Rubio, just sweaty Marco Rubio, for those watching, just sweating during his debate where he got smashed by Val Demings, sweating, mouth twitching for some reason. I'll just let you take this in. Remember The Daily Show used to do a moment of zen before they signed off the show? I think this is our moment of zen, and it is Marco. <laughs> Uh, get somebody get that man that glass of water from a few years ago. He needs it, folks. Moment of Zen. <laughs> Thank you all for watching this episode of the Midas Touch podcast. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Brett Micellis. Jordy is in Washington, D.C. on a business trip. We will see you next time. Special shout out to the Midas Mighty. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.